You're listening to the Wellest Life Podcast, and this is Brandy Andres. As you may know, I'm going to be connecting you to thought-provoking conversations on how to lead a sustainable lifestyle with ease, which is not just about sustainability, but about improving the quality of life for people, animals, and our planet. I honestly think you're going to love these conversations with amazing guests from the art world, wellness, food, fashion, agriculture, and many, many more walks of life who will share their own tips, tricks, and transformations to leading a more fulfilled and sustainable lifestyle. So thank you for being here and I hope you enjoy the show. My guest today is the co-founder of Fairtrade Long Beach, which is a retail collective comprised of small ethical businesses working to increase the availability and use of fair trade products throughout Long Beach, California. A longtime fair trade and social justice activist, she became involved with fair trade in 2009 when she volunteered for 10,000 Villages Pasadena. At that point, she also returned to college at the age of 48 and soon after studied international relations at Columbia University, during which time she also uh, handled PR for a fair trade organization called Handcrafting Justice that was focused on empowering women in developing countries. Her involvement and, in many ways, activism with fair trade in Long Beach is really part of a global movement that's aimed at normalizing fair trade as an institutional practice and also a consumer preference. And she's doing that not only through her store, of course, but also through a monthly series of fair trade festivals she began hosting near her shop pre-pandemic. She's since partnered with Long Beach Grocery Co-op to continue the series of events with open-air fairs, the most recent of which yours truly has participated in, with a sustainable lifestyle pop-up. These events are held the second Saturday of every month at the quaint and very adorable Parkview Village. Uh, Masks and social distancing required, of course. But this is all done in the hopes of building on the momentum that she saw earlier in the year with the community really finding an interest in learning more about fair trade. But I would really rather have her tell you more about everything she's working on because she is, after all, the expert. And uh, so without further ado, I give you Teresa Baxter. Hello. Teresa. Hi, Brandy. Thanks for having me here today. I'm so excited to do this with you. I am so happy to have you on the show. You know, I have been a patron of your shop and I love it. And I thought it would be great to bring awareness to what you're doing here in Long Beach and to shed some light on why it's not only important to the city of Long Beach, but also, of course, to global trade to consumers and small businesses and families around the world, really. So I'd love to have you start out by giving us a little background on what Fairtrade Long Beach is 
and how long you've been open and what you have going on over here in this wonderful city of ours. Okay, so Fairtrade Long Beach, we had our grand opening last year on May 11th, which was World Fair Trade Day. Fair Trade is an economic justice movement to make sure you follow the supply chain and make sure you know where your products are being sourced and the impact that they have on the community. And it's always a positive impact. So basically, when you come into our store, you're going to see like 20 mini stores under one roof. And one might be specializing in Ecuador, Haiti, Senegal. I mean, so many different countries, Latin America. That's what we do. And we do it collectively. And we just want to make sure that um, people understand the mission of the store and the goodness of the store when they come to visit. Okay. So you have 20 mini shops within your single location that are all practicing and dedicated to fair trade. And they sell a variety of different products like clothing and jewelry and home decor from different locations around the world. Do I have that right? Yeah, we have about 20 partners and and most of them have been well established in Southern California doing their global work. Many of us are local to the Long Beach area. So we call it like a global, local, global store. So when you're supporting our small store with our 20 partners, for example, Tribu Ecuador, who uh, travels to Ecuador every summer if there's not a pandemic, to source their products from the family that they've been working with for over a decade. They live in Torrance. We have Jennings and Allen that does a lot of uh, international fair trade work. They had a brick and mortar in Seal Beach that they gave up right before the pandemic because they were going to expand into a bigger store. But they are our partner in Long Beach. But when you support Jennings and Allen, you're supporting Seal Beach. I like that global, local, global concept. Uh, That's great. So I'm curious, what were you doing before all of this? I know that you went back to school at 48 and then went to Columbia University and had this amazing journey. But what were you doing before and why the change at that point in your life? So, yes, I was always in the hospitality industry. So I had my background with like restaurant management and working in um, restaurants and bars. And I, it was a fun job. It was a fun career. It maintained me throughout most of my life. But when you have what I would call um, not a midlife crisis, like a midlife epiphany of um, have you been doing anything to make the world a better place? I mean, I was creating a party place, but I wanted to make an impact. I really did. And so I was living in Pasadena and looked at the Pasadena City College beautiful campus. And I thought, you know, what could be a first step into making a positive change in the world? Originally, I thought I would get into radio broadcasting, which I had done in my 20s. And I thought, well, that's a good thing to make an impact, giving a voice on radio. But that really led to a bigger cause. It led me into like social justice issues. If I was writing for the school newspaper at Pasadena City College, anytime that our professor noticed that there was an injustice on campus, she knew I had that like activist heart. And she's like, Teresa, send Teresa. She'll turn this right. She'll make this right. So I became a a voice for social activism and it just grew into an obsession and a passion. Wow. That is really interesting. And it's interesting because you are serving people in hospitality. You're thinking about the way in which to create comfortable and welcoming environments that people want to continue revisiting time and again. So what is it 
about your time and experience in hospitality that you think maybe translates into what you're doing now? You know, we come full circle when you ask me that question in that way, because coincidentally, now that we've opened up the Retail Collective, Cal State University Long Beach reached out to us because of what we do, referring to supply chains, referring to knowing where your products are sourced, and they directly tied it into hospitality. So every semester I get hospitality students because they need to be socially aware of what goes on in their industry, you have to realize that maybe if you're in the hospitality industry, say in a developing country like Jamaica, you have to be aware if you see like eight-year-old boys working at the hotel that you're working at, if they're being allowed to go to school or if they're in fact part of child labor. So that's a broader spectrum of what fair trade is. There's so many principles. Like we adhere to these guidelines that are against like sweatshop labor, child labor, anything that exploits a person rather than educating them. So my background in hospitality totally tied into what this relationship is with the Cal State University Long Beach students. The first thing I teach them is child labor in the chocolate industry in Ghana. And these are exposés that have happened just in recent months. Washington Post wrote a big expose. There's always news coming out about Hershey's and Nestle's and child labor in Ghana. This is current times. There's over 2 million child labor slaves in Ghana. And it's, it's a shock to the students to learn that. But once you learn that, you can't unlearn it. So that gives them a worldview of trade and policy and hospitality and um, in several resort communities around the world, too. So you might be, you know, vacationing in or around Ghana, not realizing that there's these uh, exploitative practices going on. That's just that's awful. Um, you had mentioned Hershey's and I know that your store uh, sells fair trade chocolate. Only fair trade, only, only, only fair trade transparency in the supply chain. And the most reputable fair trade chocolate is the one that we support. And there's so many good fair trade brands, but I personally chose Equal Exchange. They have been around probably the longest uh, and they've been the most vocal about their activism of not exploiting people for products, not putting profits over people. I love Equal Exchange, but there's so many other brands. One thing that I like to promote is so accessible anywhere now, but you just need to look for the fair trade label. When I speak at other organizations such as churches and universities about fair trade chocolate, I always love to recommend the Ralph's and Kroger because being on like the national leadership team for transparency with Fair Trade USA and the Fair Trade campaigns, we keep up with who is doing the right thing. And Ralph's and Kroger, their actual CEO last year came out with a press release on how they're committing to having so many products that are fair trade. So if you look at their simple truth line, you'll see that now Ralph's carries fair trade sugar, fair trade soap, things that I never thought that I'd see in a grocery store. But when I went to the Ralph's in Los Alamitos and looked at their chocolate section, I saw the largest, largest, largest section of fair trade chocolate that I ever saw in my life. I mean, I, I can't even give you the width of the different brands. So divine chocolate, um, Theo chocolate, all these brands that are really, really doing the right thing and knowing where you can find it. You can even find some of these fair trade chocolate brands at Walgreens. So uh, the more that I see, the better I feel. That actually brings me to a thought. 
You mentioned that Ralph's and Kroger are good major grocery stores to shop in because they sell fair trade, right? But they also carry Hershey's and Nestle, I presume. I haven't been down the the chocolate aisle in a while, but um, I know that, you know, with Halloween coming up, that I've seen the candy bags sitting out near the front of the stores. And I'm pretty sure a lot of those bags come from Hershey's and Nestle. So how do you feel about these huge chain retail stores like even Walgreens and Target, for instance, that are starting to add to their shelves more sustainable items and fair trade brands, but they have had such a long life of partnering with irresponsible brands from a wellness, sustainability, and potentially human rights perspective that seemingly have not put people over profits. And from a consumer's perspective, is it enough to have a large selection a fair trade chocolate, for instance, when these stores are still selling a larger proportion of brands that may not be taking care of their supply chain and are potentially enabling the harm of people or children for that matter. Yeah, I had mentioned to you in a pre-interview that I do have a quote by one of our leaders in fair trade that I live by, and her name is Ann Lapp. And Anne says that every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. So to me, that means if you're spending money on Hershey's, you're like, well, I'm fine with child labor then. And that's that's just you have to look at the horrifying implications of, of that logic. My example is I protested when I was living in New York City. We organized a protest against Hershey's because in 2000, it was brought to light that they were doing these horrible practices of child labor. And Hershey's has this way of moving the bar. And we would say, come on, Hershey's, raise the bar, referring to the chocolate bar, raise your ethics and your standards. So if you protest against them, they give you false promises and you think that you have a victory. So that's why the Washington Post did this article last year. So when I protested, it was actually 2010. And and they know what they're doing. Hershey's knows what they're doing. So when it was brought under the spotlight, they had promised by that evening that they would be fair trade by 2017. And so you're telling me after 17 years, you still can't fulfill your promise. And so that's why we're trying to raise awareness again about Hershey's. And this is why I'm so passionately angry about it because I'm getting lied to. I guess they think that after every generation that the next one isn't going to care. But I think our next generation that has coming up, like I say that I'm like your your grandma's fair trade. I started doing this about 15 years ago and we're just hoping it's stuck with the next generation. And I feel it has. And I feel maybe there will be some backlash on some of these organizations. Another one that I was able to use very timely last semester with the Cal State students, I said, Google this. And this was news that broke just like um, last semester within like five, five months ago. I said, Google George Clooney, the actor George Clooney and child labor. 
So what had happened was that a few months ago, George Clooney was exposed with his group Nespresso for exploiting child labor in South America. So if you think it's going away, it's not. And you'll be shocked by some of the people that know that it's going on now. He can say he's the spokesperson and he didn't know that that was going on, but he's married to a human rights lawyer. So that was a discussion. It started with the Cal State students. You know, do you think he he knew more than he let on or are things going to change? So it's interesting to know what goes on in current times, too. I like that when you are working with these students, you present the information to them in the form of a question. You're not telling them what to think. You're saying, just look it up, figure it out for yourself. What does this mean to you? And how do you want to respond? And that is so important these days, I think, because Whether we're talking about politics or fair trade and human rights, there are so many different sides of the same argument that are telling us what to think and how to respond to the information we're receiving. They're saying, think this way, do this thing, take this action. And it's like we're being shouted at from every direction. But it's so great because you're bringing the topics and issues to light with these students by saying, here's the information. Do the research for yourself and then make an informed decision on what you want to do with what you've learned. And I think that is so important in today's communications overloaded world. This actually touches on another topic we'd previously talked about that I wanted to make sure we discuss today, which is the 17 sustainable development goals that were adopted by the United Nations, I believe in 2015. The sustainable development goals. Yes, that's our Bible. Um, When I moved to New York and I was going to Columbia University, we had the Earth Institute on our campus, and that's all about how we are taking care of the state of the planet. And the sustainable development goals originally were called the millennial development goals to end poverty by the year 2000. But since, you know, we had many breakthroughs, but we didn't end poverty. So we extended that to end poverty by 2030. And that was pre-global pandemic. So we're going to be moving back the bar a little bit before we move forward. But these goals are reachable, attainable, and logical. And um, they're about the sustainability of the planet, you know, and once we elevate people out of poverty with good business practices and non-exploitative practices, they align directly with fair trade. The sustainable development goals have 17 goals to reach, but if you were to marry fair trade principles and the sustainable development goals, they go hand in hand. Absolutely, they do. And this is exactly what my sustainable lifestyle concept is centered in. And uh, just to to cover some of the UN's 17 sustainable development goals, we have no poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, decent work and economic growth, sustainable cities and communities, climate action, life below water, life on land, and many, many more amazing goals for everyone to to reach for. If you were to look at all the goals, they just are goals to make our lives and everybody's lives better. I mean, it's like a rising ship lifts all. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a more equal and just world. This part of the conversation seems like the perfect segue 
to the question I like to ask of all my guests. And that is, if there's one small action people can take today that will help them toward leading their own sustainable lifestyle, from your perspective, from your experience in fair trade and your journey in activism, what would you recommend? A baby step, I guess, would be to create awareness when you shop for products to know where they're sourced from. You know, there's controversy behind palm oil. So maybe do a Google search and learning why it is so bad to use certain palm oils. And I would say the same with fair trade. One pointer I have about fair trade and sustainability is how they go hand in hand. So if you were to visit the Retail Collective, you would see that we have beautiful Haitian cut metal wall art from Haiti, sourced from these young men in Haiti and made from recyclable oil drums. So here we are cleaning up the community of Haiti, recycling oil drum into beautiful works of art, very sustainable, paying a great living wage to the person that creates the art. Another thing in the store, I'm going to say our store is about 70% sustainably sourced. So by sustainably sourced, it means you know, taking care of the planet with the products that you're creating. Joyful Imperfections, our partner who does string art, she's not doing this from a global scale. She's local and she uses upcycled palettes as the base for her art and craft. We have so many products like trashy bags, which takes old water bottles and makes them into beautiful reusable bags. And if you're from the Long Beach area, like we are, I know that we have this sustainable movement going on with so many businesses in Long Beach. So research these businesses that you know are making a difference to create a better world, a more sustainable world, a cleaner, healthy world. I think our world is crying out for that right now. It's so important that you mentioned that people do their own research, and I 100% agree that's what I did when I started my journey, and I know that's what you did as well. Uh, Where would you recommend that people start? What are the websites or organizations you would send people to who are specifically looking for information on fair trade? Yeah, the best places for them to look. So we have a lot of oversight and transparency in fair trade. So if you want to learn about fair trade and the guidelines and the principles and also the sustainable development goals, one place that you could go to is fair trade campaigns. We're part of the national leadership team. It's an international movement and it has many resources and guidelines. Guidelines, fairtradecampaigns.org, and you can go under the resources page and you can find so many different articles that tell you who's doing fair trade, how they're doing fair trade, if they're doing fair trade correctly. Fair Trade USA helped launch Fair Trade Certified. So when you go buy your coffee and you see the symbol of Fair Trade Certified, it was launched by Fair Trade. USA. There's also the World Fair Trade Organization, which is our global movement. All three of those organizations ending with the World Fair Trade Organization are the pillars of our community and they touch on the sustainability movement also. Teresa, I am so thankful for all of the helpful solutions and insights you've shared with me today. As you know, there's a wealth of information out there and it can become overwhelming to think about all the ways that we can make a difference. But it's important for people to know that there are simple, actionable steps to take, such as buying fair trade chocolate and doing the research as we've both done. And 
Also to be okay knowing we're not going to have all of the answers when we first start out. Uh, but it's a continuous journey that we have to be on, I think, if we're going to do our part to make the world a better place. So I'm just happy to know that there are people like you who are out there doing what they can to help guide others who are searching for information and who are open to learning. And I'm thankful that you are in my own neighborhood so thank you for joining me today and being on the show. And I look forward to seeing you at Fair Trade Long Beach sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to my passion. Thank you for being an activist like I am too. What an amazing conversation with Teresa Baxter of Fair Trade Long Beach. She provided so many good tips and resources, which I will link in the show notes. But I just loved her honesty and passion for human rights and how it all ties into the importance of transparency in the supply chain. And I truly hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And until next time, I wish you the wellest life. <laughs>